depression can exhibit itself in many ways. For some, it's a feeling of hopelessness. For others, it can manifest itself in aches and pains. But what does it look like for a high-performing athlete? Ben Zobrist in the air, deep right. Jason watching, it is What happens when you reach the height of your sport and that anxiety still creeps in? And there was a couple times where I had almost a full panic attack where I had to like lay down and just breathe. You know, that happened on a plane actually right after the World Series once where they almost stopped the plane because they recognized I was like almost about to pass out because of having a panic moment. My name is Dominic Lawson. Let's go Beyond Theory. Welcome to Beyond Theory, a podcast powered by Meadows Behavioral Healthcare that brings you in-depth conversations with firsthand insights from the front lines of mental health and addiction recovery. Today, we speak with two-time World Series champion and World Series MVP, Ben Zobris, about his battle with depression and anxiety throughout his baseball career. Let's get out of the abstract and see how this applies in the real world. It's time to go beyond theory. I am a big fan of youth sports. They teach us so many important lessons from how to work as a team, how to face adversity, and even time management. With youth leagues across the country, there is a constant need for coaches to be stewards of these young men and women. I mean, you know, sports has always been ingrained in me from second grade, probably. This is Terrence, an operations manager in Nashville. And when he is not working, you can find him around the game he loves. You know, 42 years old. I mean, I played several sports and just the need to or the urge to want to still be involved and around. And not only do I coach, but I'm an official too. So I do refereeing for a men's league and rec league basketball. So um, it's just a passion that I have. While he is coaching and molding young men on the court, Terrence is receiving coaching himself, but in a different arena, the arena of mental health. Really, the crazy thing about depression is that you don't really know that you're depressed because it feels so natural to you. It's something that everyday thing that you're battling, but you don't realize that you're battling with it. For me, the world seems dark. Like every day, I mean, it could be a beautiful 80, 80 degree sunny day and you just wanted to sit in the house. With Terrence on his own path to recovery, this gives him a unique window into the landscape of youth sports, which can be quite the pressure cooker. From D1 scholarships to big league dreams, it can truly take a toll on young athletes. In the age of social media, I think that that's what drives a lot of the pressure on kids. But even also, I don't think that parents pay attention to the amount of pressure that you put on a child. That can affect a lot of what a child's performance is. My high school team that I coach, I can think back to my point guard coming to me and he was telling me, you know, coach, I'm not having a good time. And I'm like, what do you mean? This is high school year. This is supposed to be the best time of your life. And he was like, after last game, my dad, he was upset with me because I had five turnovers and, you know, with this, that, and the third. Not to mention, this kid had 25 points and like six assists that game. But his dad was so focused on 
the negative that he didn't give this child the praise. And I think that so many times from the adult level, we forget that these are kids. That external pressure from coaches, parents, and even society can affect young athletes, especially when college scholarships are on the line. And with so few spots available in the pros, the pressure gets turned up even more. According to the National Collegiate Athletic Association, or NCAA, roughly one in 168 high school baseball players will get drafted by a major league baseball team. Those stats are enviable for those with hoop dreams. Why? Because becoming a member of the NBA is even more of a long shot, with only one in almost 2,500 men's high school basketball players getting drafted by the association. But let's say you're lucky or talented enough that the ball bounces in your favor. I can't help but wonder, when you make it to the top league in your sport, does that pressure go away? I got into sports at a young age, watching a little bit on TV with my family. This is Ben Zobrist, a two-time World Series champion with Major League Baseball's Kansas City Royals and Chicago Cubs. But before he made it to what is often referred to as simply the show, he cut his teeth in youth sports in Eureka, Illinois. My dad was a big uh, baseball fan, and I grew up loving basketball, too, because in Illinois, basketball is a great small-town sport there. Illinois and Indiana are kind of known for that. So for me, uh, growing up, I always loved sports. I was really drawn to the sports arena, and I, I, I was good at it at a young age. Ben explains that while he is a talented athlete, even he was not immune to a certain word that often comes up in sports. But I really didn't think much at all when I was a kid about the pressure, you know. And as I got older and really uh, into high school, we had a really good basketball team when I was a senior and I loved playing and, and we were ranked in state. And I had a lot of adrenaline that would flow through me during those games and, and athletic activities. But I never, never realized kind of how that may be affecting me. But about the middle of my senior year, I kind of had some depressive emotions and feelings that I, I didn't really know what I was dealing with. I thought I was just worried about the future. I was just thinking of college and not sure what was going to happen. And now I look back and go, wow, that kind of coincided with like the highest pressure that I had felt as to that point as an athlete. You know, our whole town followed us every game. You know, we were undefeated in, in the season. And that's the, to win a state championship in basketball was, was my dream more than ever doing anything beyond that. I didn't really even think much beyond that. So winning that state championship was all I was about. In the very middle of that, when everything's going fantastic, I'm a starting guard on the team, we're doing really well, I start feeling this anxiety creeping in. And um, I didn't really know how to express that to the people I was around, to my family. And so I just kept it inside. Ben's dad, who was also his pastor growing up, taught him a concept early on as a kid. It's a phrase you often hear when you play youth sports. My dad taught me how to do that at a young age, be, quote, mentally tough. You know, we talked about that a lot when I was a kid <laughs> because he was a uh, former uh, Air Force veteran. And so he, he knew the importance of that and, and uh, kind of taught that to me at a young age. At the time, what mentally tough looked like and meant was pushing beyond what you think your limits are, you know, especially as a young kid. When I was doing sports, we always did conditioning. Now it's a little more specialized and it didn't matter, you know, whether I was playing baseball, basketball, football, I mean, anything, we always did conditioning like at the end of practice or the beginning of practice where you, you basically, you know, you did wind sprints. 
in baseball, they don't really do much of that anymore. But like we would run and run and run. And, and it was kind of those moments where, you know, you're pushing yourself physically and mentally that, um, my dad was like, this is, this is where the rubber meets the road. This is where like you separate for lack of better terms, the men from the boys, you know, that's kind of the, the term that, that you could, you could say at times as an athlete. And it was like, I understood at a young age that you have to push past fears, push past um, emotions, push past pain, all those thresholds in order to be better. And there is a lot of truth to that as an athlete. I mean, there's a lot of truth to that in anything that you do. There's going to be sacrifice involved. But there there wasn't really a balance communicated of like, well, do you know what your limits are, you know, and do you do you understand how far you can take it? You know, it was it was very general at the time across the I mean, I, I think across the board, the sports, it was very general, like what mentally tough meant. But to me, what it meant was stop whining and keep going. And when you consider that Ben grew up in the rural Midwest, where working hard is a way of life. Hearing phrases like, quote, stop whining, keep going, makes sense. Generationally, you know, when you, when you think about the, I'm 40 years old, you know, and you think about the fathers that raised us and then the fathers that raised them. I mean, the fathers that raised them were coming out of World War II, where there was just, there wasn't room for that level of vulnerability. And, and it was considered because mental health was not really something, it was either you're crazy or you're normal. That was all people really knew at the time as much in the mid century is what it seems. And and then as things grew in the sixties, seventies, eighties, and people started understanding a little bit more of it, it was more understood at a therapy level, at a psychological level through the American Psychiatric Association and other great organizations that, that were doing a lot of study in regards to it. They were understanding what, what the DSM and all the mental health type of things that they were all understanding for the first time, or at least putting a language to it. Well, still in the 80s, when I was growing up, 80s and 90s, they're just, it was still considered odd for, for people to talk about going to therapy, you know, or talking to a psychologist on a regular basis. It was considered odd in the 80s and 90s. You, you, you must have had something really going on. This can be tough when you're going through the early stages of depression. This sense of oddness can be both isolating and counterproductive. I am reminded of a conversation with therapist Gene Ross from season one of Beyond Theory, talking about the beginning stages of the work of people with depression. So, so often my clients would be coming in and, of course, the first question we therapists ask people is, why are you here? And the answer I would get was, oh, I don't want to be depressed anymore. And so as you know, we begin to do the work, it was very clear that the whole process of trying not to have depression increased depression. It increases our isolation. It increases our loss of joy. So Ben explains that back then, if you had something to work out, there was at least one familiar source you could go to. Because for me, growing up in the church, it was like, if you got an issue, you talk to your pastor, you talk to your faith leader, you know? And I think even now, people, the first responders to mental health are generally faith leaders, which is why the APA is starting to really work with faith leaders a lot, because they recognize faith leaders need to be very, they, they have to be very educated on, on what issues they, they should and shouldn't be helping people with, you know? So at the time when I was growing up, it was, it was just all we knew. And, and thankfully, you know, I had people that were, were supportive around me, but a lot of people didn't. 
growing up in that time, if they were having some some struggles with things like that, they didn't really have any options. But but definitely in the Midwest, growing up in a small town, I didn't even know what therapy was. I didn't know what talking to a psychologist was. You know, that was definitely just foreign to me. All I knew is if you're struggling, you go talk to your pastor. And for many Americans, Ben's experience is very common. In a report published by the Cardiff University School of Medicine in the United Kingdom, as many as 40% of Americans seek support from clergy. These researchers go so far as equating clergy with, quote, frontline mental health workers and gatekeepers of mental health services, end quote. But why is that? Ben explained his rationale, but he also had a faith leader in the home, so it wasn't very hard for him. But what about everyone else? Why are churches, mosques, temples, and other places of worship natural starting points for seeking help? What strikes me, the very first thing, he went to talk to someone about it, and it was a faith leader and then at a certain point in time. This is Chaplain Kevin Burkus, Director of Spiritual Services here at Meadows BH. He was featured heavily in Season 1 of our other podcast, Recovery Replay. He outlines that the reason for this begins with our need to make connections. Those were the people we would go to to talk to about things. And the deep value of communicating pain, communicating struggle, communicating our deepest self to another, and the fact that as human beings were made for community and were made for connection. And so to be able to have that faith community as the place to begin that or grow in that. But I think then we've evolved as a country, as a society of the awareness of how mental health and recovery is such a broader topic. And so obviously the field of psychology and therapy and social work and so on has grown so much. So now there is this place to go talk to people about very regularly. People have a therapist. They go see a therapist. It's not uncommon to sort or talk things out. They're kind of the the voices of wisdom or guidance, direction. And then I think as people walk to those questions of kind of meaning and purpose, it leads off into the realm of the spiritual or the faith life, higher power. And so I, I can see how the need for mental health profession to grow in awareness of this element of, yes, there's secular knowledge about the psyche, about the makeup of the human being, but a big part of the makeup of a human being is the spiritual component. And I think that's the awareness that's growing, it sounds like. And so it makes a lot of sense for the therapeutic community to have and grow in knowledge of this spiritual path and how to support people on a a spiritual path. That background helps explain why faith leaders are often on the front lines of mental health. And if things had gone differently for Ben, he would have joined their ranks. But his high school coach presented a different opportunity. The plan was I was going to dive into my faith. So I was going to go to a Bible college. I was going to try to study the Bible and see where God took me from there. And I was ready to give up sports if that's what was in the cards for me. And uh, it was about a couple weeks after I graduated high school. My high school baseball coach said, hey, I know you're planning on going to Bible college. And he he said, but there's this scout day. And I think you're good enough to play college baseball. If if you're willing to pay $50 to go do this and showcase yourself to some of these college coaches, he said, I think it might be good for you. 
So I have him to thank for <laughs> a lot by just alerting me to that and helping me in high school and such. And so that's where I met a college coach who believed in me and Coach Elliot Johnson, who basically gave me a college scholarship offer and said, hey, we have a Christian school up here near Chicago. And he said it might work well if you really want to continue to try to play athletics. So that's when I... I I got to actually dive into my sport all in for the first time. There was no other sports that I was playing in season. And that and I got quite a bit better from there. College and professional sports come with a lot of pressure. It seems as if with every new level in an athlete's career, that pressure only continues to grow. As Ben ascended to new heights in baseball, he could certainly relate. I mean, I definitely felt that pressure. I had been through a couple of uh, steps before that kind of prepared me a little bit more for some of that. But at every level, every time there was a step up, I felt a, an added level of pressure. But it all felt like the same leap. It's a little bit different when you leap from the minor leagues to the major leagues. When you're in college ball and you go to pro ball for the first time, of course you want to make a great impression so you feel a little more pressure. You might press for a little bit, but then you relax and you make it to the next level and there's a little bit of pressure. And the next level, a little bit. And the next level, a little bit. Then you jump to the major leagues and there's a little bit more, you know, like, oh, well, that was a little bit of a bigger jump because now everybody can see me on TV and you realize like the, the, the scope of people that are paying attention to what you're doing just went way up, you know, when you go to the major leagues. Well, then there's another little leap in baseball when you make an all-star team. It's like, oh, wow, you made the all-star team? That's something, you know? So then you add a World Series to that. You go to the World Series and everybody in the baseball world is watching you at that moment. It's all eyes on these two teams in this series and nobody else is playing games because everybody else is already out. And in the eyes of the watching sports world are on you. I did that with Kansas City. You can make the argument that most of the pressure to win in professional sports comes from the stands. In 2015, fans of the Kansas City Royals had not seen a championship in three decades. Add the fact that the Royals went to the World Series the year before, only to lose in Game 7 by one run, and you can imagine how anticipation for the upcoming season was high. Fortunately, with Ben's help, the team prevailed. The one, two, But if you think the pressure of a 30-year drought is something, try joining a team the following year, experiencing a championship dry spell that lasted over a century. We went to Chicago, and that was a whole nother jump. The Chicago Cubs is a storied franchise with a subculture that rivals any in American sports. Ben explains further how deep Cubs fandom runs. Like Cubs fans are everywhere they're all over the world and they're just it's just a massive following of baseball fans so we could feel it all year long as a team and as individuals that it's a little different this is a little different than any other world series any of us has played in because it's the chicago cubs because they have a 108 year curse on them they haven't been to a world series since 1948 so it was just crazy, the pressure. And then you go to a game seven and all that pressure that was on it. So there was a lot of added pressure in that series than, than any other sports or really situation I've been in my life. Game seven in the world of sports is synonymous with pressure. It's surreal, said Cedric Maxwell, two-time NBA champ 
1981 NBA Finals MVP. He knows something about the experience. He scored 24 points in Game 7 of the 1984 NBA Finals and led the Boston Celtics to a championship against their heated rivals, the Los Angeles Lakers. According to Cedric, quote, The thing about the seventh game, there is no wiggle room. Everything multiplies tenfold. In Ben's first season with the Cubs, the team had a great year. So great, they found themselves in Game 7 of the World Series. And in extra innings, Ben is going up to bat. Zobris, he knows how to handle these spots. One thing about baseball is that being in the batter's box is like being in a fishbowl. All eyes are on you, but don't take my word for it. The eyes of the world on Ben Zobris. Woo. Talk about pressure. I wanted to know how Ben managed it. It was managed incrementally by, it, it always felt like, oh, well, I've done a little bit of a jump before in pressure. And then it's like, okay, I know people are paying attention, but what helped me be successful at the last level? It was really no different being successful in high school and college as it was at that highest level. It was just the competition and the skill work and all the training that went into it were obviously massively more by the time I got to the major leagues in, in Chicago than when I was still in high school or college. But that pressure, I didn't feel it in the moment because I was focused on the one thing that I needed to be focused on. It all comes down to focus. And you could talk to any of these Olympic athletes, they're really successful. The things that they are doing is they're not thinking about people watching them while they're doing their thing. Like all they're thinking about is the very specific technique that they have to think about that that's making them do really well in this moment. It's this court awareness. Everything else blocks out and you zoom in on one thing. Yeah, game seven, tenth inning, there was a lot of emotions if I was sitting in the dugout. But by the time I got to the plate, I had had a routine and I was so focused on the one thing that I needed to focus on. That particular pitcher, that particular pitch, that particular moment and situation in the game, and nothing else. Zobris stands at base Cubs will take the lead. Zobris delivers 7-6 in the tenth. Ben and the Chicago Cubs go on to win the World Series. After a century, Cubs fans around the world celebrate a baseball title. And for his play, Ben is named World Series MVP. In society, we look up to athletes, and rightfully so. They perform these incredible feats that leave us awed and amazed. But for all the superhuman performances we see from them, we often forget that they are human. And one thing we know about depression and anxiety, professional athlete or not, it does not discriminate. It was right after the World Series. Now, that was different because I had all the, the I had been successful and I had helped the team win and I was the World Series MVP. And it's just like, I'm going to Jimmy Fallon and Conan O'Brien and Disney World on a private jet and all these things, these opportunities are coming at me. And I didn't realize how overwhelmed I would be with everything that came with the success. A lot of people experience that because of failure in their life. I didn't realize how much I would be overwhelmed with all the, the social success that would come with that. I was always good being the guy in the background on my team, you know, being the utility guy that just found a way to help the team win. 
didn't really need to be in the front of everything. Either way, it added pressure. Instead of going, oh, wow, this is great. Seven million people at the parade and, and all these things in Chicago after you win the World Series that were so amazing. And it's still to this day, I love when Cubs fans come up to me like they give me a hug and say thank you for being a part of that. I love that. But at the time, it was like so much all at once. That was hard to deal with. So I can understand how an Olympic athlete or a World Series champion or NBA champion or Super Bowl champion or anybody that is super successful in a sport, how they can have this big wool, whether they fail at the highest level or succeed at the highest level. It's kind of traumatic either way. And you have to deal with added pressure either way. Next time on Beyond Theory, we talk more with Ben Zobrist on the aftermath of winning the World Series. The biggest thing that bothered me was the lack of sleep. Not being able to sleep a full six to eight hours in a row when I started experiencing anxiety. And later, Ben details what he thinks about the steps Major League Baseball is taking when it comes to its players and mental health. In the last four or five years, it's really come to their attention that they have to have more things in place for players, more opportunities and options to get players help. That and more next time on the Beyond Theory podcast. Beyond Theory, powered by Meadows Behavioral Healthcare, is produced and hosted by me, Dominic Lawson. You can discover more at beyondtheorypodcast.com. Special thanks to Ben Zobris, former professional player who is a two-time World Series champion and World Series MVP. He is also a strong advocate for mental health and youth sports. Also, special thanks to Terrence from Nashville. Sources to create this episode of Beyond Theory include NCAA.org, MLB.com, and the National Library of Medicine. Finally, thank you for listening, and I hope you join us next week for another episode of of Beyond Theory.